The scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 8 verses 25 to 40. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza." So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the, all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of the Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, "Go to that chariot and stay near it." Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. "Do you understand what you are reading?" Philip asked. "How can I?" he said, "unless someone explains it to me." So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, and he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, "Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else?" Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, "Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized?" And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Exodus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we are very grateful to have Reverend Andrew Pay to preach to us. Good morning, Church. I bring you very warm greetings from Singapore, as well as from Trinity Theological College and your sister conference, the Chinese Annual Conference of the Methodist Church in Singapore. It is a joy and privilege to share the word of the Lord with us this morning at Faith Methodist Church in, here in Kuching. I thank your pastor in charge, the Reverend Lenita Tiong, your pastor, the Reverend Gabriel Ling, and the leaders of Faith Methodist Church for this invitation to come and share. With you as you observe Mission Sunday today, I like to begin my sharing with a story that Max Lucado wrote in his book *Outlive Your Life*. This, he in this uh, story, he tells of a, a, a football match. It was a very different football match. Bear in mind that uh, Lucado was referring to American football, which is very different from the kind of football we understand here in this part of the world. This was indeed a very different football match because it was one where the teams or the fans cheered for the opposing team. It was one where the cheerleaders switched loyalties for the opposing team. 
It was one where the, the, the coach himself helped the opposition score goals. And it was one where the parents shouted in crazy support for the team that their kids were competing against. And this was the brainchild of a very big-hearted football coach in Texas by the name of Chris Hogan. Hogan was the head coach of a very successful football team from this school called Faith Christian High School, where he was uh, the coach and he had 70 players, 11 coaches, the latest sports equipment for training, and a very enthusiastic group of parents who cared and supported for their kids the coaches, and all things related for football. Football, you could say, was in their blood. There was this game that the football team was going to play against, and it was the team from Gainesville State School, which was a vastly different team. Gainesville team wore seven-year-old shoulder pads and helmets, which are mostly more than a decade old. The team does not even have any cheerleaders, nor does the team have parents of the players because they, the parents don't come to watch them play against uh, people. And the only people they have on this team was the people who would, uh, were 12 uniform officers who kept a close eye on the, on the players and they would pack them up in the buses after each match. As you probably would know, Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility. It is a school within a prison, and it does not have a stadium. It does not have a cheerleading squad, or perhaps even any hope of winning any game. And so in preparation for this game, Coach Hogan came up with a proposal. He asked the school fans as well as the parents to step across the field and for one night only cheer for the opposing team. And more than 200 of those parents and fans volunteered to do that. These volunteers armed with a banner for the Gainesville team, the team was called Tornadoes, and they made this banner say, Go Tornadoes! And they sat on the Gainesville side of the stadium and in preparation for the game, they even learned the names of the Gainesville players so that they could shout out their name to cheer them on. These Gainesville players had probably heard people scream their names at other times, and mostly their yells would have been punctuated with jeers, but on this night, it was different. They were cheered on with enthusiasm, and it was as if they were indeed their own fans, and they played their hearts out. And after the game, the teams gathered in the middle of the team to, in the middle of the field to say a prayer. And one of the Gainesville players asked if he could lead the prayer that night. Coach Hogan agreed, not knowing what to expect. This boy opened his mouth and prayed, Lord, I don't know how this happened. So I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known that there were so many people in this world that cared about us. The fans, however, were not finished for that night. After the game, before the Gainesville players were to be driven back to the prison, these fans waited near the buses to give each player a goodbye gift. It was a bag of burgers, fries, candy, soda, a Bible, and a personally penned letter, and a huge round of applause for each one of the Gainesville players. 
As the prison bus left that parking lot that evening, the players pressed their stunned faces against the windows and wondered what just hit them. According to Lucado, he wrote, Here is what hit them. A squad of bigotry demolition experts. Their assignment was to blast buyers into dust. Their weapons, a bombardment of encouragement that shouted, You still matter, and someone still cares for you. Their mission, breaking down barriers that separate God's children from each other. Church, what is God calling you today to do as your mission? As we continue, will you join me as we look to the Lord in prayer? Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scriptures, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Church, if, I, if you were to be honest with you and with each other, if there was anyone that you'd find objectionable in heaven, who would that be? Right? Think about this for a moment. If there's anyone that you find objectionable in heaven, who would that be? Some of you might be thinking of your bosses because your boss don't deserve to be in heaven. Some others may have doubts that if triad members or loan sharks, rapists, pedophiles, murderers, hoping that maybe they should not even get an opportunity to hear the gospel just in case they believe and repent. For some of us, it may be people who have hurt us very badly. I suspect that for most Christians, we are content to live our lives quietly without any glitz or without any glamour. We are happy to just live and let live. And oftentimes, we have carved out an imaginary divide in our everyday interactions with people. If we are to be honest with ourselves, perhaps there are various walls that we have erected that would bisect our world, where this is where we are and on the other side is where the other people are. As long as their world does not upset our world, we are happy to maintain status quo. Why would we even be bothered to cheer for a losing team? We should only be bothered with cheering for our own team. What are these dividing walls that we have raised in stipulating that I am on this side and the other people are on the other side? It may be that the person we have come to disregard or feel even disgust towards. It could be our quiet bias against those who do not speak the same language or dialects as us. It could sometimes be marked by the difference in our races or our skin tones even. Or perhaps there could even be an unspoken bias that we have between those who are educated in English and those who are educated in different languages. And that divide may even be quite distinct even in our own churches, even in our own fellowships, between those who think like us, speak like us, and act like us, and those who are not like us. Well, the COVID pandemic had clearly helped us in Singapore see the difference between how we treat Singaporeans versus how we treat migrant workers in Singapore. During the circuit breaker, uh, everyone in Singapore experienced the lockdown. But Singaporeans were able to leave their homes to buy groceries, 
they have to live uh, alone in uh, not in groups and they were allowed to exercise while the migrant workers were locked down in their dormitories they were locked down in their rooms actually they couldn't even go out to exercise for a good one and a half years there may have been reasons to prevent the spread of the pandemic but what came into very sharp focus is that the walls of division between how we treat people who are different from us became very clear and evident sadly i think we make a big deal about how trump wanted to build a wall to keep out the mexicans from america but what about these invisible walls that we have built in keeping others out from the world that we live in as we read the gospel accounts of the life of jesus we see that he is one who challenges our normal conventions he was more interested in breaking down walls he was interested in building bridges consider his encounter with the samaritan woman at the well consider his ministry to the poor the prostitutes the publicans and in his ascension he reminded his disciples to wait for the gift of the holy spirit who will empower them to be his witnesses in jerusalem in judea in samaria and to the remotest part of the world and here in acts 8 we read of the angel of the lord directing philip firstly to samaria you read this in acts chapter 8 verses 4 if you go back and read the whole of the chapter of acts you see that in verse 4 philip is directed to go to samaria and in our text for today this angel directed him to an ethiopian eunuch Ethiopia was known as Cush in the Old Testament and consistent with Old Testament perceptions the Cushites were considered as those people who were living on the ends of the earth and here in the in the obedience of Philip we read of the gospel going firstly in this same chapter in Acts 8 firstly to the Samaritans and then to this Ethiopian eunuch it is as though that the through the obedience of Philip The gospel was now going to the last geographical frontiers of the great commission as given in Acts 1:8 to Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. In his encounter with this Ethiopian, we note that there are many many differences between Philip and this Ethiopian. It is probably true to say that the Ethiopian was dark-skinned while Philip was much fairer. The Ethiopian was rich since he was a court official of Candace. The fact that he was riding in a personal chariot and it was a large one at that. I don't know if you if you thought through about this, he was not riding in a small chariot because he was able to invite Philip to come and ride with him in that chariot. So it must have been a very very big chariot. and that he was reading from the scrolls of Isaiah all point to the fact that he was more than just a person of power or he was more than just a person of means right not everybody would be able to have within their own possession the scrolls of the scripture but besides these external disparities Luke recorded for us that this Ethiopian was a eunuch which more than highlights the difference between their testosterone levels this ethiopian was a person of various conflicting statuses he was a high court official of ethiopia 
and yet he was most possibly a proselyte since it tells us in the Bible verse that he was returning from worship in the temple in Jerusalem. But as a castrated proselyte according to Deuteronomic law, he was not allowed from participating in the assembly and is possibly only allowed into the temple as far as the court of the Gentiles. Bible commentators are right to posit the significance of the Isaiah passage that he was reading from and referring to when he met Philip. We need to bear in mind that the chapters and the versing in the Bible was a relatively late inclusion. And so it tells us, uh, Luke tells us that this Ethiopian eunuch was holding on to the scroll which contained this passage commonly referred to as the fourth servant song in Isaiah 53. Right? And most of you would know that in the scholarship of Isaiah, Isaiah was such a long book that it was probably divided into various different scrolls. This person was reading from, at least I think we know, the fourth scroll, which is the fourth servant song, from the passage beginning with Isaiah 53. And if you continue and follow along in that scroll, a few paragraphs later in the same scroll, according to the contained in the passage in Isaiah 56 verses 4 to 8. This is what it's read like. Okay, let me read for us Isaiah chapter 56 verses 4 to 8. Isaiah 56 verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. It certainly seemed that this guy had travelled all the way to Jerusalem believing these words that he was reading and trying to make sense of this passage in Isaiah. And yet he did not find acceptance in the temple among the Jews. And his encounter with Philip, it was to fulfill things. It was to turn things around for him so dramatically. It was no small question that this black, influential, soft-spoken court official from Africa turned to a fairer skin simple, scruffy man from Jerusalem and ask, is there any reason why I cannot be baptized? That is maybe turning the question around and asking, is there any reason why I cannot have what you have as a Christian? Is there any reason why I cannot be what you are as a disciple of Jesus? Think for a moment what Philip's response was. Because this is one of the most defining moments for Philip as he spoke to one who is on the margins of those who are acceptable from the perspective of Jewish 
uh, thinking. Here was a Gentile, one who was considered not kosher, since he was a eunuch. What if Philip had thought about this and said, now that you mention this, well, actually, uh, we, we, don't, we don't take people of your kind. What if Philip said that? Instead, what Philip did in being obedient to the Holy Spirit and sharing Jesus with him was to tear down all these dividing walls that separated them from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. It is true that their difference was glaring because not only did this guy represent people that were on the ends of the earth, the Gentiles, and all the types of people that the Jews had frowned upon, he, was also represent, he also represented the very people that have been ostracized and kept away from God because of their very identity. Here was a Gentile, a sexually questionable person because he was neither male nor female, an outsider by all conventions who asked to be included because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Before we read of Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles or of Peter's encounter with Cornelius later on in the book of Acts, Luke records for us here in Acts 8, Philip's obedient response in bringing the good news of Jesus in embracing those who are on the periphery of Israel's uh, acceptable social norms. Justo Gonzalez, a uh, historian, is right in noting that in the baptism of this eunuch, Philip is doing much more than we think. He is fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah, the very verses, the, the, the verses I read for us in Isaiah 56. He is fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah that the eunuch and the foreigner, the Gentiles, also will have a place in the house of the Lord. And before we know it, Philip is then whisked away and he is on his next assignment of preaching the gospel to the other parts of the world. Church, how do we understand a passage like this? What lessons may we glean from this? What can we learn from this passage? And, but perhaps I think there are many, many lessons that we can pick up from Acts chapter 8, but perhaps the most primary is this, that this passage teaches us that God feels passionately about the person on the other side of the wall, these walls that you and I have erected in keeping them outside of God's kingdom. God feels passionately for each and every one of them. Paul would later write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, about the work of Jesus, how he has come to break down every wall of division to reconcile us to God and to each other. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians recounted that through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in his living, in his dying, in his resurrection, God is creating a new people, a people unhindered by nationality, by geography, by race, by sex, by power, by positions, by possessions, by privileges or proclivities or predispositions. We are to be a people instead marked by a prodigal love for Jesus, which is really this uncommon affection for those that he has regard for. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he has regard for the last, the least, and the lost. 
I think this, I think that it is significant that this story of Philip is encountering the Ethiopian eunuch is placed right here in Acts chapter 8. It is Luke's way of saying that at the moment where the gospel is reaching out to the wider world, wherever you go, whatever culture you come to, whatever situation of human need, whether it is sin, exclusion or oppression you may find, the message of Jesus transcends all of that. God's love transcends geography. God's love transcends culture. It transcends gender. It transcends race. It transcends all the sin that we see in other people. And we are compelled to always then to point them to Jesus because He is the one who can bring about forgiveness, healing and transformation. And like Jesus, we, the church, should be in the business of demolishing prejudices. Locato, in the story, tells again in the sto- of a story of a friend, Buckner, Buckner Fanning, how this person experienced uh, his experience as a Marine in World War II when he was stationed in Nagasaki. Three weeks after the dropping of the atomic bomb, amidst the rubble and the wreckage of a demolished city, this American soldier was to learn afresh what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. Instead of anger and revenge from the Japanese, Buckner found an oasis of grace. While patrolling the narrow streets, he came across a sign that bore an English phrase, Methodist Church. He noted the location and Buckner wanted to return the next Sunday morning to see if the church would still be gathering there. When he did, he, encount- he sort of entered a partially collapsed structure where the walls had, been, had buckled and fallen down. The Marines stepped through the rubble, unsure of how he would be received. Fifteen or so Japanese were s- setting up chairs, removing some of the debris, and when the uni- uniformed American entered their midst, they stopped and turned to face him. Buckner knew only one word in Japanese, and he heard that word called out. The Japanese called him Onisan, which means older brother, and they welcomed him as a friend and as a family. They offered him as a seat, they offered him a seat, and they started their simple service among the ruins there in Nagasaki. Not understanding a single word of Japanese, he sat with his Bible open, and during the communion, the Japanese worshippers offered him the elements. And in that quiet moment, the enmity between their nations, the hurt of the war was laid aside as one Christian brother served another the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. For Buckner that day, another wall had come tumbling down. Reverend Lenita had asked me to share something about the mission's work among the Chinese people as well, and I think it is a good time for me to share an example here. Uh, As a mission historian, I can think of no better example than that of Samuel Pollard. Samuel Pollard was a Methodist missionary in China. A few years back, the Chinese Annual Conference President from Singapore, Reverend Dr. Go Nai Lat, got a few of uh, the pastors as well as lay leaders to go with him to see the work of this British missionary who ministered among the Miao people in a remote village, Shimenkan, in Guizhou, one of the poorest provinces in China. 
That in turn sparked my interest in learning about Paulat's life and his ministry. Paulat's ministry among the Miao lasted really quite a short period of time, only 10 years. But Paulat gave of himself and his family unreservedly for a people that were on the fringes of the Han Chinese population. He started schools, he built churches, and he established hospitals, created even a Miao script. And all throughout that one decade of ministry, he and his family lived among the Miao's, and he died among them as well. His legacy is well remembered even till today in Shimen Khan. In 2013, the students of Shimen Khan were thrust into the limelight when CCTV, the Chinese uh, network, featured a teacher who taught in Shimen Khan using a song. Uh, this song is named Tai. Tai employs the words of a Qing dynasty poet, uh, Yuan Mei, and the poem reads as such. I'm going to attempt to sort of read the poem in my very broken Chinese. It says, uh, Taihua meaning the flower of the mosque. Alright, mosque. I mean, sometimes we don't, I don't even know, I didn't even knew, uh, know that there were, uh, the mosque actually had little flowers. But this is what it meant, right? So when, uh, and, I, and I think if you Google, uh, if you just type the Chinese word Thai, Thai as in moss, in, in the Google search, you'll actually come up with some videos that will show the CCTV uh, video. This poem served, I think, uh, as a fitting way to encourage the students that they, though they may not have a lot in life, they can nonetheless live their lives to the fullest and flourish and blossom even with that same kind of beauty that the Queen of Flowers, the peony, has. And this was very much in tenor with the life of Pollard because he adopted this particular kind of thinking that he wanted to give of his life in, in order to ensure that the Miao people would thrive among the Chinese. Because when we visited Shimen Khan again uh, sometime later, we saw that the, whole, the words of this poem was etched on one of the doors of the leper colony that was established by Pollard and the group of workers. It was a very poignant reminder to me that in many ways, this poem exemplifies the prodigal manner in which Pollard gave of himself to the Lord and for the Miao people. In 1915, Pollard was ministering to the villagers hit by a typhoid epidemic. While caring for them, he also contracted typhoid. Pollard might have well saved himself, but he gave that one final injection to save the life of a child that he was caring for, and he paid the price with his own life. So Pollard died of typhoid in 1915 in Shimen Khan. Brothers and sisters, I think we have to carefully consider the example of Philip as well as Pollard as he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, as Pollard encountered the Miao people. And then we have to consider the people that we meet on an everyday basis, the people that are different from us. The Malay office staff at the government offices, the Indian workers or the Dayaks who are working in this city in Kuching, the many other people that we meet on an everyday basis. Are we erecting walls that divide or are we building bridges 
to engage with them as disciples of Jesus. How can we share the love of God if we cannot get beyond our own biases? So church, let me ask again, where is your Samaria that God is calling you to? Who is this Ethiopian eunuch that God, the, the, the Spirit of God is asking you to encounter today? Where is the uttermost part of the world for you? When we talk about mission, I think we often get all excited because we think of all the places that God may be calling some of us to. And yes, God has called some of us to minister in a cross-cultural context. For some of us, that uttermost part of the world may be in Thailand, or maybe in Tanzania, or in Tibet, or in Terra del Falco in South America. Secretly, I think some missionaries hope that God will call them to be missionaries to minister in Texas. Given the state of decline of Christianity in the United States and Europe, I do think seriously that there is an increasing need to send Asian missionaries to do mission work in typically mission-sending parts of Europe and in North America. And indeed, God will call some of us to do His work across the seas. But for the most of us, God is perhaps calling us to do His work not across the seas, but across the road on the other side. God is perhaps calling us to do His work on the other side where we have built walls so that we will keep other people out. And yes, God's mission involves us partnering with Him to reach out to those people in our neighbourhood. Those people who live across the road on the other side or even those people who live in our own houses for which we have erected high walls of exclusion instead of embrace. What possibly did Luke mean when he wrote Samaria and the ends of the earth? I'm sure it does mean that for some of us, we need to go to the far corners of the world. But I'm equally convinced that before God convicts us to go to the remotest parts of the world, He wants firstly to get into the innermost parts of our hearts. We are reminded constantly that God has unfinished business, both in the outside world as well as in the inside of each and every one of our hearts. God is thoroughly a God who sends us to the unreached, but He desires first to reach us in order to send us. Are you allowing Him to reach you so that He can send you? To put it in another way, God is persistent in His mission, both in the interiors of our hearts as well as in the exteriors of our lives. Let me say that again. God is persistent in His mission, both in the interiors of our hearts and in the, and in the exteriors of our lives. And like Philip, God is preparing us to encounter our Samaritans. God is preparing us to encounter our very own Ethiopian eunuch. So church, perhaps the question where we have to consider today is this, how can we share the love of God if we cannot get beyond our own biases? Who are these Samaritans? Who are our Ethiopian eunuch? Who are those that we have a prejudice against that God is telling us to break down those walls? I hope that you are hearing carefully what God is saying to us this day. 
through Philip's encounter, so that you may indeed welcome the day that God will take you to Samaria, and when God arranges a divine appointment for you to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch, one who is so different and yet so sincere in wanting to know the Lord Jesus. Do not refuse that person. Do not let class, do not let race, do not let gender, politics, geography, culture, or any other differences and prejudices hinder you from being an instrument for God's work. For the end of the matter is this, when we take that audacious step of crossing the field and to be able to cheer for people on the other side, people who are not like us. When we take that risky step of breaking down the walls and reaching out to people on the other side, everyone wins. Everyone gets to hear the good news of Jesus. So church, will you allow God to do His work of changing your hearts in breaking down your walls so that we may become a person who will help build bridges and bring others to the love of God. Will you join me as we pause before the Lord as I close us with a word of prayer? I'm going to spend, I'm going to just keep quiet and let the work of the Holy Spirit do some conviction in our hearts, after which I will close us with a word of prayer. So let's pause for a moment of silence. Let us pray. God of the margins, we pray for those who have been pushed to the margins. People who have been ostracized, people who have been forgotten, oppressed and dismissed. We use them, we abuse them, we dehumanize them and we ignore them. Something has gone terribly wrong indeed in this world and also in the church. Yet God, you show us that you're not a voice for exclusion and hate. You care for the widows, the orphans and the foreigners among us. You yourself are the God of the margins and the God who comes to us from the margins. Those that the world damned, you bless. Those that the world forget, you remember. Today we pray for those whom we have ignored and omitted. Those whom we have placed on the other side of the walls that we have erected. Forgive us for our prejudices and move us out from our comfort zones to minister alongside you on the other side so that like Philip in his encounter with the eunuch we may respond to your call to be your salt and light because people need you Lord in the peerless and the powerful name of Jesus we pray Amen <laughs>